Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 19. <laughs> How about them apples? You know, we're going in a, in a specific direction when we break bread over Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19, we are continuing our series entitled, What Happens Next? And we're finishing a two-part sermon entitled, Me, My God, and Justice. All right, so this is part two. And the subtitle of this second part is, What is Justice? What is Justice? Last week, we talked about, why should I do justice? We answered that question, and then we said this week we would actually define justice, and we would kind of flesh it out as to what justice looks like in our everyday lives, not just why it's so important for us. Now, last week I only gave you one one one-liner because I wanted you to understand the weight of that uh, truth, and so I didn't put any of the other one-liners up. Don't think for a minute that's how it's going down this week, okay? So if you're taking notes, I I want you to keep up. I want you to write these things down. If you're not taking notes, I now want you to take notes, okay? And don't forget, the God of the universe is sitting behind you, peering over your shoulder, watching how attentive you are to his word, okay? So take good notes. There's some really important, not just powerful one-liners as we answer this question, what is justice? And here is a one-liner at the very beginning to kind of frame the importance of us answering this question. I want you to write this truth down. Christ followers must understand what justice is and find joy in it. Christ followers must understand what justice is and find joy in it. Let me show it to you in scripture. Proverbs chapter 28, verse five. Evil people don't understand justice. (laughs) I love the Bible, don't you? Like if you're thinking for, for just... A moment, like why are we talking about justice in the church? That's a political issue. Why, why is that getting into church? Evil people don't understand justice. But those who follow the Lord understand justice completely. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 15. Justice is a joy to the godly, but it terrifies evildoers. Okay, so you see, Justice is really important for us to understand as followers of Jesus Christ. One of the things that that I fear a little bit is that justice is all too often made a political issue. And I just want to remind us all, long before justice became political, it was spiritual. And, And here's how you know, God established the law. He gave the law to the nation of Israel. The first law came from God. Here's another way to say that. God established himself from the beginning as the divine legislator. Justice, here's another way to say it, is not a court thing. It's a kingdom thing. Justice is a kingdom thing. It's not a court thing. And and you may be someone who, who... feels injustice consistently from our criminal justice system. And I want to just lovingly remind you, yes, we need to do better and we're going to try and do better. All right. But listen to me. 
long before justice was something instituted in our court system, God established it. All right? Here's another way to say this. Justice finds its source and authority in God, not in court. God owns justice. Now, man is to walk it out, but God established justice. Psalm 89, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Here's another way to say it. God sits on justice. He sits on a throne whose foundation is justice and righteousness. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. God is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything God does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How many are, are grateful God does no wrong? Okay, not enough. I'm, I'm just going to talk to online today because apparently everybody's a little sleepy. W would you like a God who was capable of doing wrong? Okay, I'm just making sure. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. Okay, so you see, justice has always been connected to God because God was the one who established it. Okay, if that's not enough for you, if, if it's not enough that God feels so strongly about justice for you to therefore do justice, let me give you a little different way to see it. How many of you appreciate and enjoy peace? Just put your hand up, okay? And, and watching online, okay? We love peace. None of us wakes up in the morning and goes, you know what I'm in the mood for? A lack of peace. Okay, the more you love peace, the more seriously I want you to take this next one-liner. It is impossible for injustice and peace to be neighbors. It's impossible. Injustice and peace cannot cohabitate. They can't live in the same cul-de-sac. They do not exist in the same realm. Anywhere someone is experiencing injustice, they are experiencing a lack of peace because injustice and peace do not roll together. Let me show it to you in scripture. Deuteronomy 16, verse 20. God says, let true justice prevail so that you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving you. God was saying this to the nation of Israel before they moved into the promised land. God says, hey, you want to enjoy that promised land? You, you want to last there and not just visit there? You better let justice prevail. Because where injustice prevails, there will be no peace. You will not be able to occupy the land I have given you when justice doesn't prevail. Okay, so some of us have a tendency to see justice like this. Well, that doesn't really affect me. We're going to talk about that later in the message. But God would say... If injustice dwells in your land, you're not going to get to experience the fullness of the land God has given you if justice doesn't prevail, okay? So these are just a few scriptures, and we're going to use a lot of scripture in this message because, again, I, one of my concerns is people are turning this into a debate, all right? And I'm going to talk about unity in two weeks. I'm actually waiting until Independence Day to talk about unity as a little... Because I'm a little disappointed in what I'm seeing in the church. We're taking the enemy's bait. We really are. Like I, I, I'm really disappointed that the church, big, big C, is fighting 
the way that we are. We're turning this into a, a debate of opinions rather than just going back to the word of God and basing our lives on it, not how we feel and not what we want, by, by God's word and God's word alone. Okay? Every believer is meant to build their life on the word of God, not their own opinion. And here's how you know. <laughs> somebody, somebody emailed me this week. It was so awesome, and I mean in a good way. Um, they, they said, they were just encouraging me after I'd said, you know, I'd gotten some emails and so they said, I, I just, I just want you to, to know, I so appreciate the way you open up God's word. While I don't always agree with all of your perspectives, I, I love the way that you open God's word with a pure heart and I trust you to do so. And I, and I loved it. And I, I actually didn't just respond back via email. I actually got his number and called him. And, and I said, I love what you said because I don't always agree with me. Like, I love that you said, I don't always necessarily agree with you. This is what family does. And we're going to talk about this during the unity message. We don't have to agree on every little thing to walk together. We just have to commit to love one another. Right? And right now, unfortunately, the church is taking the devil's bait and turning justice into a political argument. Listen to me. No president, no politician established justice. Our great God did that. And I will not give that to the politicians. Now hear me, I'm not saying don't care about politics. But what I am saying is it is dangerous to care more about political issues than you do kingdom principles. Okay? Point number one. Let's answer the question, what is justice? Here's the first answer. Justice involves equal treatment for everyone. Equal treatment for everyone. Now, I know some of you just hearing that phrase, you don't like that phrase. And you have this thought, that's not fair. Okay, if that's you, I'm gonna give you a little bit of homework. Go read Matthew chapter 20, okay? It's the parable of the laborers. Jesus tells a parable about some laborers he starts at the beginning of the day telling the story that, that a landowner got some laborers first thing in the morning, had them work for him, then later in the day got some more laborers, then later in the day got some more, and then in the last hour of the day got some more laborers. And at the end of the day, Jesus tells this story that the landowner paid everyone the same rate. So if you're someone who, when you hear that, equal treatment for everyone, you think that's not fair. I want you to study Matthew 20, and I want you to remember the gospel isn't fair. And thank God it's not. Because if the gospel were fair, I'd spend eternity in hell. I don't want the gospel to be fair. Think about it. And some of us, there's this little thing that when we talk about equal treatment for all, we don't want to be treated equally like everybody else. Because unfortunately, some of us see us as better than others. And if I'm better, then I can't be treated the same. Listen, Jesus painted a very clear picture even for those of us who lead people organizationally and, and as a staff. Staff are not in, uh, enslaved to me. Jesus says, if you oversee somebody, you, you get beneath them and you serve them. Okay, th remember, this is an upside-down kingdom. And in a world where people are not treated equitably, God says, I love everybody equally. Equal treatment for all. Let me show it to you. Romans chapter 2, verse 11. There is no 
partiality with God. This word partiality is actually used in the Old Testament a lot. And it's used especially when God is speaking to judges about righteously judging in the court system. And God repeatedly said, now when you judge, do not use partiality. Another way to say that is don't play favorites. Now the Hebrew word for partiality literally means to regard faces. God would literally say, when someone comes into your courts to receive judgment, I don't want you getting caught up in who they are or what they look like. That's inequitable. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And this is what you need to remember. This is the reason why God is so big against bribes in the Old Testament and in the New. But the reason God was so anti-bribes in the court system is because a bribe gave more power to the wealthy. So it, it created this system of inequality or inequitability. God says, listen, when you render judgments, do not use partiality. And if you ever ask why, why should everyone be treated equally? Because God says, there is no partiality in me. So I don't want partiality in my children. Here's what that literally means. No race should be treated differently. No race should be treated differently. Now, I intentionally phrased this one-liner the way that I did because it's actually a little bit misleading. And I'll show it to you. I'm going to give you three things when you, you may ask the question, okay, what does equal treatment for all actually entail? What does it involve on my part? Here's the first thing. You treat everyone like family. The equal treatment of all involves you treating everyone like family. Let me show it to you. Acts 17, verse 26. And God has made from one blood every nation of men. Let that sink in for a minute. And God has made from one blood, one man, every nation of men. You know what that means? You are my brother and my sister. No matter where you're from. We be family. Now, and unfortunately, all too often, unhappy family on the earth. But look at this. God made from one blood all nations to dwell on all the face of the earth. And God has determined there, these groups of people, the pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Okay, write this one liner down. God created all nations from one man. There's actually only one race, many nations, only one race, the human race, from one man, one blood. Okay, we forget that all too often. God says, I, I created all of the nations from one blood. Now, when people teach, I've, I've seen pastors teach Acts 17, 26, they typically focus on the first half, but I think there's some amazing theological brilliance in the second half. Let me read it to you again. And God has determined the nations, the different nations of men, their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. What is a boundary? A limitation. A boundary is a limitation. So here's what God is saying. I have actually created the appointed times for each of these nations to thrive and I've appointed their limitations. So God created their strengths 
and their weaknesses. Okay, now if you're, you're kind of getting ahead of me, you might be thinking, well, that's not fair. No, 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 it's God's divine plan. Think about how beautiful it is. Why would God create people who look like me to have certain strengths and certain weaknesses? Why would God create people who look like my best friend to have certain strengths and certain weaknesses? I'll tell you why. So that no one group of people had a monopoly on everything, thereby mandating their need for others. We need one another. We need each other. I have strengths, you don't. You have strengths, I don't. Now let's just think of this from, from the nation's perspective, okay? Have you ever noticed one of the most beautiful strengths of the Hispanic culture? They have an absolute adoration for family. It is one of the most beautifully, relationally romantic things I've ever seen. They adore family. That's a strength. Not every nation or people group has that same strength, but we can learn a lot from them. This is how God designed us as people groups from one people, but as different nations, different types. Listen, there are things you're good at that I'm not, things I'm good at that you're not. And here's when we're at our best, when we leverage one another's strengths. This is what I've tried to do with this staff here at our church. I've tried to staff my weaknesses. I've tried to hire people who are really good at what I'm not good at. Where did I get that from? My dad. My dad is the most amazing GM in the history of humanity. He builds the best teams because he brings someone in with this strength for, with someone who's weak in this area, puts them together, this person has strength and they just come together and they're better as a result. This is what Acts 17, 26 is saying. Let's go a little further. Uh, look, flip over to Leviticus 19. If you open there, Leviticus 19, verse 33. It says this, and if a stranger, now this is a word used in the Old Testament oftentimes to speak of the immigrant, someone who is a non-native born citizen, okay? And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat them. There's some politics for you. You shall not, Preston, mistreat those who are non-native born citizens. You will not mistreat them. Goes further. The stranger, the immigrant who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, like family. Let's go a little further. Second part of equal treatment of all involves you treating everyone as yourself. You don't just treat people as your family. You treat them as yourself. Because you might actually say, well, I don't have a good relationship with my family, so that kind of gives me an out not to have that great of a relationship with everyone else. Wrong. The Bible says we don't just treat others like family. We treat them as ourselves. Keep going in Leviticus 19.34. And you shall love the stranger, the immigrant, the one not like you, the one not, not born in the same place as you. You shall love him as yourself. 
for you were strangers in the land of Egypt, God says to the nation of Israel. In other words, you used to be foreigners too. And isn't that part of our testimony related to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Once I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I can see. I was in prison spiritually, now I've been set free because of Jesus. I was a foreigner, now I've been adopted into the family of God because of Jesus. See, this isn't just about racism. This is about kingdom. And we're called to treat others as ourselves. Now, what does that practically look like? Let me give you a phrase to help you understand how we are to walk this out. In order for me to treat you as myself, here's what I have to remember. If something affects you, it affects me. If something affects you, it affects me. See, last week what we talked about was if you love somebody, you love what they love, right? If something matters to someone you love, it matters to you. Well, we're going even further this week because Scripture says I am to love everyone else as myself, especially those who are the least like me. I love them as myself, which means if something is affecting them, it affects me. If something affects you, it affects me. This is one of the foundational perspectives of someone who does justice in the name of God on the earth. You matter to God, and if something affects you, because I love God and God loves you, what affects you? Now, my friend, my family member, now it affects me. But if that's not enough for you to treat people as family or to treat others as yourself, let me give you the third thing scripture commands us to do. Treat everyone as Jesus treats you. If it's not enough to treat him like family or treat him as yourself, then I'm just gonna lay the, the biggest card I can lay down on the table. Jesus did it in John 13, 34. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. Preston, here's a command. In other words, as one of my followers, something you must do, love one another. As I have loved you, he gets even more specific. So you should. No. You must. I want you to personalize it. I must. Say that with me. I must. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you, so I must love one another. This is why I believe, it's a big part why, of why so many people outside of the church are confused by the church, because they know our command from Jesus is to love one another the way he loves us. And when we don't stand with the oppressed, the message we're sending is, you don't matter. Because you don't matter to me as a child of God, the message it sends is you don't matter to God. Jesus says, I'll clear this whole thing up. Just love one another the exact same way I loved you. Now you might be asking, well, how does Jesus love me? He went on record 
And he said, greater love hath no man than to lay his life down for his friend. Jesus laid his life down for you. And we're called to lay our life down. I'm called to lay my life down for others. Even those who are nothing like me, look nothing like me, sound nothing like me. It's part of the command Jesus gave us. Here's the second answer to the question, what is justice? Committed concern for those without power. Committed concern for those without power. Notice I didn't say attempted concern for those without power. I said committed concern. Let me show you the difference. Luke chapter 5, the story of the paralytic who a couple of people found him and Jesus was on the scene and they decided he couldn't walk. They put him on a mat and they carried him to where Jesus was. Now, here's the difference between attempted concern and committed concern. They had the man on the mat. They get to Jesus. Jesus is surrounded by people. He's inside a house. Nobody can get to the house because there's too many people to get to it. Attempted concern looks like this. It would have involved those carrying the paralytic, getting to the house and going, we tried. Sorry, bro. Thought today was the day for your healing. We tried, but we just can't get to Jesus. But when you read Luke 5 and the other gospels that tell us this story, what actually happened? Those people carrying the paralytic didn't stop at the edge of the crowds. What did they do? They climbed on top of the house, cut a hole in the roof, and lowered the man down in front of Jesus. Okay, think about this, because I think we, we approach the Bible too much like it, it's a child's story. And we go, isn't that cute? Somebody cut a hole in a roof and lowered a man in front of Jesus. Okay, imagine you were the owner of the home. You, you think you're going to say, how cute. They cut a hole in my roof and a storm is coming. I spent the entire Middle Eastern summer building that roof and you just cut a hole in my roof. Aren't you sweet? Okay. They didn't respond that way. I wouldn't respond that way. Why? Because it's a big deal to cut a hole in the roof. Here's how you know. They lower the man in front of Jesus. And scripture says, Jesus seeing whose faith? Not the man's faith, their faith. Up on top of the roof, Jesus saw their faith and healed the paralytic because of their committed faith. Can you imagine if the church of God got so committed to seeing justice being done on the earth in the name of the God of justice, who established justice. Can you imagine the healing salve that would be touched all over the world if the church took its place, stood up in committed faith and started cutting holes in rooftops to make sure those who needed the most help got an audience with Jesus? Committed concern. Let me give you a one-liner, and this is a little bit strong. It is not enough to be a believer who is not racist. Every believer must be anti-racism. It's not enough as a follower of Jesus Christ to not be racist. We're called to more than that. 
We have to be anti-racism. And here's why. Racism isn't just a personal affront to humanity. It is a slap in the face of the God who created every human and sent his son to die for all of them. We can't just settle as the church of God for not being racist. Racism involves injustice. We must be anti-racism. Now, what does a committed concern for those without power actually look like? Two things, here's the first one, use your voice. Really, really simple. Committed concern starts with using your voice. Proverbs 31, verses eight and nine, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. This is in your Bible. See, many of us think Proverbs 31 is what? The godly woman chapter. And I actually think the enemy would rather everybody focus on the bulk of the verses in, in Proverbs 31 and miss out on some really important verses in the first 10. Two of which are speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. This is our calling. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. I want you to write this one down. God gave you a voice so others would benefit from it, not so you would fall in love with it. Have you ever caught yourself falling in love with your own voice? Maybe I'm the only one every once in a while. I'll get on a little bit of a run and I'll be like, Man, Preston, that was good. Like, that just sounded good, bro. Well done by you. Come on. I forget sometimes every good thing comes down from above, and, and I, I fall in love with my voice. Of course, you're too religious, you're too godly to ever do that. But every once in a while, I'll pop in a life group, and I'll catch one of you falling in love with your voice. How do you know? Because you go 19 minutes without taking a breath. Okay. God gave you a voice. Not so you'd fall in love with it, so that others would benefit from it. Here's one of the difficult things I've had to wrestle through as it relates to injustice and my role as first as a believer, and then as a pastor. I've had to wrestle through this. Why in the past have I been silent at certain times? That's a really tough question to answer. Why have I been silent? And here's where I am today, and maybe this changes as I continue to grow, but here's kind of what I process so far. I haven't been silent because I didn't care. And that's not an excuse. Here's the number one reason why I've been silent in the past at times. Because I undervalued my voice. Here was my thought. When something would happen and people would be like, are you gonna say something on social media? And number one, I hate social media. If you love it, I still love you, but I hate social media. I just hate it, okay? It's, it's a necessary evil, I know, but I'm pretty sure that the person who developed social media came from hell, I, I think so, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding, don't. Uh, people have left the church when I make jokes about social media. I'm just kidding, kind of, okay? But people say, are you gonna say something? And I haven't always, and here's why, here's been my thought. No one cares what I think. No one cares what I think about this. 
I pastor 1,300 people in Arizona. There, there are way bigger churches and pastors which much, that have much more eloquent ways of speaking on all things. No one cares what I think about this. And here's what the Holy Spirit taught me as I wrestled through this. And I want you to write this down because it rang my bell. God doesn't ask you to measure your voice. He asks you to use it. That's nasty right there. I think a lot of us just think, oh, I only have 62 followers on social media. No one cares what I think. God does. God gave you a voice so that others would benefit from it. We use our voice. Doing the right thing often starts with speaking up. My best friend uh, just did a, a two-part message uh, last week and this week, and it may turn into a three-part message involving next week, um, entitled, If You See Something, Say Something. It's a phenomenal, if you have time, get online and listen to it. It's Tim Ross at Embassy City Church. Phenomenal message. If you see something, say something. Oftentimes, we don't speak up, not because we're bad, but because we undervalue the voice God put inside of us. First part, use your voice. Second, use your power. Use your power. Now, you might be thinking, Preston, this sounds elitist. You sound like an elitist saying that you have power, which implies that there are others who have less power than you. Let me just help you understand my perspective on this. I have more power than some. I have less power than many. And that's true for all of us. I don't look down on anybody who has less power than me temporarily because you know what I've learned? And, and Proverbs talks about this, that someone with no power today may have a ton of power tomorrow. So power is a temporary thing, but it's scriptural to say, if someone is being oppressed, they have less power than you have. There are people in your workplace who have less power than you. Everywhere you go, there are people who have less power than you. It doesn't make you better than them or them worse than you. Let me read this, Psalm 82, verse 3 so you can understand what using your power feels like. Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Uphold, hold up. That's not a thinking thing. That's an activity thing. That's an action. Hold up the rights of the oppressed and the destitute when everyone else would push them down. Your Bible says God's children are divinely designed to hold up the rights of those with less power and to lend our power to them and do for them what we wish would be done for us. Use your voice, use your power. Let me give you a practical picture and we'll be done. If you're at the grocery store this week and in aisle four as you were going to find the spicy ketchup, you saw a child being abused physically, not just verbally, physically abused in aisle four of the grocery store. What would you do? Here's what I know. I know you wouldn't walk right by them and just kind of sidestep, like, I don't want to get in your way. I also know you well enough to know that you would not think, everyone knows I'm anti-child abuse. 
I don't need to say anything. I've already said it. Everybody knows I'm against child abuse. I'll just be quiet on this one. And I know you wouldn't walk the other direction. You have good in you. Let me say it another way. You have God in you. Whether you know him personally yet or not, every human being was created in the image of God. Every human has some of God in them. Here's what I know you'd do. You'd speak up. Maybe you'd shout out. Stop! Someone call the police. You would speak up. And I know enough of you to know, some of you would bow up and use some of your power. And you would stop that raged-filled human being from beating on that five-year-old sweet little child. Okay, listen. When it's something like child abuse, it makes it really easy to say, if I saw something, I would say something and I would do something. Why isn't it that easy as it relates to injustice and racism? Here's God's heart for justice, that each of us would have the opportunity to experience the benefits of it. Why? Because he established it. And it's what his creation deserves. As for him and his house, they, which means we, will do justice. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.